0: obviously a great joy for us to be able to do just that, to worship the Lord. Let's go before him now in prayer. Father, we stand in your presence and we do so with great joy, for you are the living God and worthy of all of our worship. And we're asking now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that your spirit would be moving in our midst, that you would shape and mold and fashion us for your glory, both individually and collectively as a church. And so we're coming to you expectantly, and we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And before we just get started with the word, just want to tell you, we are really encouraged to see uh, COVID numbers dropping down. Uh, We are making our way through this pandemic. You can almost start seeing just kind of the light at the end of the tunnel what a journey this has been. And just want to just kind of update you on a couple things. Uh, as we are making our way through this pandemic, starting next week we're going to have a few adjustments. Uh, one of those is that during the times that we're seated for like studying the Word um, and announcements and things like that, while you're seated, feel free if you'd like. You can just uh, not wear your mask. We'll start that next Sunday. Um, also, um, while we're moving about, though, and kind of standing and singing, uh, we're still asking that you would just wear your mask at that time. And if you ever forget your mask, and that certainly happened to me, we always have them kind of at the Welcome Center, and you can just kind of grab one. Um, but I want you to know that we are so encouraged by just the body of Christ, um, how we're in this together. And so, what we're doing is we're doing like it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 we are being devoted to one another in brotherly love, we're honoring one another. Or like in Philippians 2, putting another's interest before our own. And so I uh, just want you to update, be updated on that. Uh, the elders will continue just to kind of tell you, hey, this is how we're seeing as we're all trying to go through this and lead well in this together. Also, we're going to stop doing the RSVPs. Uh, so no longer, this will be kind of the last Sunday on that as well. So again, I want to thank you uh, for praying. Thank you for being such a blessing as we go through this uh, pandemic together. We do so to the glory of God, and we learn to love one another in significant ways. If you want to find your Bibles, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2. Do you know how much you walk in a lifetime? I actually looked this up, and it's going to be rather surprising, but the average person will walk about 100,000 miles in a lifetime. That would be like the equivalent of walking around the world four times if you could actually do that. Now, as you might imagine, different people in different parts of the world walk more than others. So like the United States, how many steps do you think we're taking on an average? Like it's about 5,000, okay? That's why we have to have like little incentives. You need to get your 10,000 steps in, right? Because like places like Western Australia, they kind of double what we do in the United States. And I want you to know, unless you have some sort of uh, factor or uh, complicating factor in your life, walking is a way of life. You're always going to be walking. In fact, oftentimes you're not even thinking about it. You just are walking. The same could be said spiritually. Your way of life is your walk with God. And you and I are have who have a relationship with the living god that is reflected on how we live the values we uphold our behavior our convictions the patterns that can be observed in our life and as you study the bible you'll notice that referring to a person's relationship with god it's referred to as one's walk with him let me give you a few examples like deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 6 it says therefore You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. Or like in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says that you formerly walked in the ways of this world. It was the culture, the impulses of your flesh, that actually determined your walk in this life. But that has been changed because you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You no longer walk in the ways of this world. And we saw it last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, a great text on walking with God. And it says this, this is the whole reason, just a review from last week, why Paul was actually caring from the heart, he was communicating truth, he was coaching for growth, and casting this vision, verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's a present tense verb. God always is calling the believer to walk in his ways to reflect his kingdom values because we're in allegiance and relationship with the king and to live for his glory. And so it speaks of your daily conduct, how you, have, how you relate to people your decisions you make, the values you hold, the ethics that you demonstrate. Whether you're a student, a young adult, you're retired, you're somewhere in between, that your lifestyle reflects that you're in relationship with Christ and that you're living for his glory as a member of his kingdom. And it's, remember that Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, meaning that God's spirit is actually placed in our lives so that we not only have the power... To walk with God and to live for His glory, but He actually then gives us the strength and the ability to follow through with what He has said in His Word. So, if the goal is that we would walk in a manner worthy of the King, like it says there, worthy of His kingdom and His glory, because He calls us into this, how do you do that? How do you and I walk in a manner worthy of God? I mean, what what does God give us so that this will be a reality? How can we have a thriving walk with God? That's why I'm so excited that you're here this morning. Because the text that we're about to look at here actually gives us the two gifts God gives us for having a thriving walk with Him. To the degree that we apply these verses really is the degree that we experience what it means to walk with him and to reflect his glory and to live as we should in his kingdom. So let me give you these two gifts. The first one is found in verse 13. The first gift that God gives to strengthen our walk of life is this, the power of his word. Let's take a look. Verse 13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For this reason, what reason is that? Verse 12, he calls us to walk in a manner worthy of his kingdom and his glory. He says we're constantly thanking God. The reason that we've got such gratitude and we're expressing it to God is because the power of His Word is being manifested in His in your life. You receive the Word not as the Word of men, but for what it really is—the Word of God. What do you believe about this book? No, you're in college. You can take the, the a course called the Bible as literature, right? And there are many people that will treat this book as uh, this is this is good literature. It's been very helpful for a lot of people. There's some beautiful poetry, some nice stories, and it's treated as such. It's dissected as such, but it's not treated for what it really is, the Word of God. Literally, it's, it's given to us by God. Like it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, "...men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God." And Paul was very cognizant of the fact that when he was speaking to them of the gospel, telling them about Jesus Christ, about his salvation and being called as a disciple in his kingdom, that when he was referring to the Old Testament and the teaching that he was giving, that it was the word of God. And that's why these things have been written down. And he says, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. You accepted it. You welcomed it. You treated it with respect and reverence. And friends, that's what we need to do. If God is going to perform his work in us, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of his kingdom, we have to do exactly what the Thessalonians did. We have to believe and trust in the word that God has given us. That's how his work is accomplished. And you're asking, well, then, well, what kind of work are we talking about? I mean, what What does God do with this book called the Bible? Let me just list some of the different ways God uses His Word to accomplish His work in our lives. For instance, do you know that the Bible, Scripture, actually brings salvation? Because it's the Bible that points us to Jesus Christ, who He is, what He's accomplished, what's going to take place in this world and it speaks of his return. It's the Bible that God uses to sanctify us in the truth. It's the scripture that God uses to bring maturity, to free us, to bring about perfection and maturity, to counsel us, to build us up, to give us spiritual success in the endeavors in which we engage. It gives us hope. All of this is from the word. There's no human book that can do those things, it is a supernatural book, and the Thessalonians embraced it for what it really is, not the word of men, but the word of God. And how it works is that God uses his divinely given scripture. Men moved by the Holy Spirit, they gave us his word, this collection of 66 books. And what, this, what happens is that when we are in the Bible, it shapes our understanding of ultimate reality, who God is, how he works what he's called us to do. It tells us about heaven, hell, sin, our purpose in life. All of this is from the Scripture. And once our understanding is informed, then our convictions, our beliefs, our attitudes, our values are shaped from what we're learning from the Scripture. And of course, you and I always truly live out what we believe. Our convictions guide our behavior. But it's all sourced in Scripture. It's not about just, well... The Bible says this, so you just have to have behavioral modification. You just do these certain things. There's certain things that you don't do. Here's certain things that you do do. And just follow these list of rules. Actually, true Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the working of his spirit and our understanding of his word, he shapes our beliefs, which in return shapes our behavior. But it's always done in the context of relationship. So how do you become... A lifelong student of Scripture, both personally and in a church. There's three things that you've got to have. First thing is you have to respect the Word. You've got to appreciate it. You see, the Bible is different in origin. It's different in character. It's most certainly different in content. And it is different in cost. There is no other book like the Bible. Like it says in 2 Timothy 3, it is inspired by God. God has given us this book. And if you want to understand the Bible just in a nutshell, the Bible is a book about Jesus. The Bible is the book about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he is promised and he's predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is presented In the book of Acts, Jesus is preached and he's proclaimed. In the New Testament epistles, Jesus is explained. And in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus is revealed in his full reigning glory. If you're going to be a lifelong student of the book of the Bible, you have to respect it. You respect the word. But second, you have to receive the word. It's not that you just say, wow, okay, I get it, and I believe that this book is from God. It is the holy word of God. You actually have to receive the word. You have to find ways in which your mind and heart are engaging in the truth of Scripture. And so that's what happened with the Thessalonians. They they heard the word, Meaning, they not only just heard the words that were being spoken, but they were listening and processing what was being said. But they accepted it. They welcomed it. They not only received it with their ears, they received it with their heart. It shaped who they were, what they really believed. And that's what you and I need to do. We have to develop patterns in which God's word is regularly feasted upon in our lives. We all know that if you're going to be healthy, you have to eat healthy food on a regular basis, and you've got to exercise. I mean, there's not a lot of mystery to it. If, that's going to, if health is in your future, you need to be eating healthy and exercising. The same is true spiritually. We have to have a diet for God's Word. Now, before you were a Christian, and certainly this was my case, I had no appetite for the Bible I, zero. But after I became a Christian, there was a real desire to have your soul fed. And so we find regular patterns. It's kind of like eating, okay? We all love to eat. I I love to eat. Just ask my family about that. Look forward to meal times. While I'm eating, I'm thinking about even the next meal because I just love to eat. And when you eat, though, you digest your food, right? Now, I know some of you have been trained in the military. You're like, you got about three minutes to eat your meal, right? And, and then you're on to the next thing. And you learn to literally inhale your meal, right? Like, you know, And you just, all of a sudden, you just like, you just, all of it there. And you did it like two minutes and 30 seconds, which gave you 30 seconds to actually talk with your friend, and then you're back at it. There's better ways of going through life, okay? Now, sometimes you have to eat fast. I get it. But when it comes to the Scripture, you want the Scripture to have its full effect in your life which means you need to digest it, just like you chew your food and then your body digests it. So you need to do that with Scripture. Now, I'm a guy that's working hard, trying to probably accomplish more in each hour that's, that's reasonable, and there's nothing wrong with you know, being fast-paced and getting a lot of things done. But if the Bible is going to have its full effect in your life, it can't be rushed. You've got to meditate on the truth. Now, I know that people like meditation is kind of becoming in vogue, but what you're hearing about uh, in our culture is Eastern religion meditation, the idea of emptying yourself. When the Bible speaks of meditating, meditating on his word, it is filling yourself with his truth and thinking deeply about it as a spiritual being. When you do that, it's like digesting and chewing your food. You're getting the full nutritional value out of it. Meditation on the Word is to our spiritual life like digestion is to our physical life. So you have to receive the Word. And could I throw something out there? When you're listening to the Word, like having it preached, maybe you've listened to a podcast where you had a, heard a sermon or perhaps you've had your own personal devotional time in the Word... Don't just then just immediately just forget it, Uh, turn on some music, just kind of forget what you ever even thought about, because that has like the effect of almost erasing the effect. You want to find some time where you keep thinking about it. And so if you want to become a true student of the Word, you've got to respect the Word, you've got to receive the Word, and third, you have to respond to the Word, asking God, how do I respond to what I see written? And you'll find that it's going to affect how you go about your job, how you treat your spouse, your kids, your, all of your relationships. If you have an enemy, how you're dealing with a crisis or a problem or a discouragement. It leads to worship. It leads to serving and giving and expressing gaze, grace and, and forgiveness. All of this is an expression of response to God's word. There's three questions I found to be really helpful in just studying the Bible. There's simply this. First of all, ask, what is it saying? You read a passage or read a chapter or read a book of the Bible. What is it saying? Second, ask this, why did God have this recorded? Why is it here? There is a reason. So try to figure that out. Ask God, why did you have this recorded? And then third, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? And so, like for me personally, just have some daily practices of just being in the word. And as I'm reading, I'm, I'm looking for something like, you know, Lord, how does this really apply? Um, I'm looking for things to reinforce truth that I already know or to actually um, even confront perhaps even certain directions or things that I have been thinking. I want the Word to shape my life. And one of the things I do is try to find something that I can pray about from the reading of the Scripture or whatever I was reading that day. It's very much like we do like on a Sunday morning. We'll read a passage and then we'll actually pray about different aspects of that. And then, of course, there are times, just like you, uh, that you are reading, but the Bible didn't seem to address some of the hard issues you know you've got going on, whether they be like, you know, pride issues or uh, jealousy or lust or discontentment. Like, I know different passages that address those things. I will turn to them so that my heart will engage the truth and God will use his word to show me the way, what to do, how to respond. And that's at a personal level. But you need to understand that this was all written to everyone, the whole church. The scriptures, and like this New Testament letter, 1 Thessalonians, this is written for all of us. If we're going to be a church that is, has as part of its DNA, The study and the scripture as a way of life, then we've got to be in this book. Now, I think many of you know my story. I became a Christian when I was in college. And after I became a Christian, finding a church that taught the Bible was really important to me. See, for me, part of just coming to know Christ is like I was actually like reading the Bible. I was being engaged by different Christians, people that actually knew God. I was thinking about the gospel. I came to an understanding of the significance of sin. No mystery that I was a huge sinner, but, and I'd really missed the mark, but I saw the beauty of the Savior. But this was all fueled by the Word and seeing passage of Scripture and reading it. So after I became a Christian, The Word was just central to living the Christian life. And that was true of, like, being a part of a church. Now, when I was in college, I was working, pretty much putting myself through college, so I had a job, and I worked Sunday mornings. Because why? You get time and a half, right? Well, so that means that I was kind of going to church on Sunday night. And so I went to some different churches, and, like, I was surprised. Like, sometimes, like, they never actually even got into this. Or they might reference a Bible verse or two, but, like, this, this is not working because I, I want to know God. I want to know this book. And I know God barely, and I really don't know anything about this book. And so I would even ask people, like, where you might go to church. And I went to different places. I heard about this one church where there was a guy who seemingly taught the Bible And so I went and checked it out. Now, I didn't go to different churches I went to. I didn't go to them because, like, well, that's where all the college kids were hanging out or this seemed to be, like, the cool church to be a part of. I I actually wanted to find out where the Bible was being taught because, for me, I understood that would be central to my spiritual development. So I went to this one church I'd heard about, and there was Pastor Bob Luther, okay? He's an old guy, and he had, like, white hair just, like, shooting out of the side of his head, you know? But I tell you what, this guy loved God. And he knew the Bible. And it wasn't about him. It was about the scripture and about God. And he would just take a passage and he went through book by book. And I just sat myself up in the balcony right at the very center, like just right kind of above him. And I just locked on. And I had a notebook and I just took notes. Because almost every time this man spoke as he opened up the Bible, I had never heard any of it. It was all brand new to me. And so after I got out of college and I was going to go and be in the business world, I want you to know I picked my church before I actually selected my job. I had selected a church where the pastor was teaching the Bible. In fact, the church that I went to, Southwest Bible Church, they had a great pastor, Scott Gilchrist. And he knew God and he knew the word and he taught it. But when I went there, there wasn't anyone my age There was not anyone really even close. I was the only one just kind of out of college. They had no college students, but that's okay because I wasn't there because I had to have lots of people like me around me. I wanted to know God, and guess what? Lots of people my age started to come, and it was great. But friends, I want you to understand, God has given us his word. Why? 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God uses his, transforma- his revelation to bring transformation. And if you don't really believe that this book is from God, then I can assure you it will not be preached. Because you've got to believe that it is inerrant, it's without error, it's infallible, it's fully trustworthy, and that it is absolutely authoritative. And you can find out what a church really believes about this book by the focus that it is given when it comes sermon time. It's in vogue right now to just maybe sprinkle in a few Bible verses, but what it's done is it's left an entire populace of Christians pretty much biblically illiterate. They know some Bible verses, and they certainly heard some concepts, but they don't know this book, and hence you really can't know the God of the Bible. The scriptures develop our strong foundation in Christ, and I will tell you, this is going to become critically important in these upcoming years. Because right now, culture is unraveling and changing right before our very eyes. Already, things that are clearly wrong truly sin, are actually being celebrated in our culture, called legal, and if you hold to a different belief, you're scorned, or you might even find that your belief is not only invalid in our culture, it is illegal, and you better shut up. The dividing line is going to be crystal clear. This is what is going to happen Those who know Christ are going to need to be grounded in his word. Why? Because you can't walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory if you do not have a regular intake in his word. Because this is what God uses to fortify our lives and to make us strong. And that's what Paul is presenting. There are two gifts that God uses to strengthen our walk with life. And the first one is the power of his word. And the second is this. It is the personal faith of his people. Right on the heels of ex- expressing just how powerful God's word is and why it's necessary, he says this, verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. And I, I want you to see how he presents this. For you, brethren it'd be easy to miss now all of us in humanity we're all united we're all made in the image of god but christians exclusively took this term brother the idea that we're related as a family because indeed we're united in christ because of the blood of christ We belong to one another. We need one another. We're in a body of believers with one another. And that's what he's emphasizing. For you, brethren, you, you became the imitators. You followed in the patterns and the words of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. All churches, actual churches, are in Christ Jesus, Jesus. He's the centerpiece. It's all about Him, His glory, the worship of Him. He's our total orientation. You are that kind of church, he says. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So the Jews brought the heat to the new-fledging little churches in Judea. Why? Because they were absolutely opposed that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. No way. In fact, you will see, like, even the Jews, even in Jesus' time, were saying that he is, has a diabolical message, and he most certainly is not the Messiah. They could never find anything wrong with him. There was no sin. They actually could no, in no way could confound the wisdom that he was presenting to them. But they would not have him because he confronted their religion and said, Listen, true relationship with God is all about faith in me, the Messiah. And they wouldn't have it. And you see, there was a lot of suffering that took place in Judea, like in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. He says, You also joined in that same kind of suffering. You see, Paul knew about the kind of suffering that comes when you truly follow Jesus for two reasons one he personally experienced it didn't he okay I mean prior to coming to Thessalonica you know he got beat up right he was incarcerated but there's another reason why Paul was very familiar with the suffering that true Christians will follow will face do you know why because prior to coming to put his faith in Jesus he dished it out He was the guy that was tearing up families and hauling them away to be incarcerated. He was the guy that was watching these Christians who would not recant, who would not reject Jesus Christ, and he watched them die. He understood full well, and he says, you know what? You have joined in this. You have joined in the persecution that comes from following Jesus. Do you know that if you were a Christian, you're going to face persecution? Do you know that? I'll give you a couple texts on that. Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Will be persecuted. Jesus said this, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you as well. John 15, verse 20. You see, if you're following Jesus, if your faith is in him, you were going to go against the grain of culture and you're going to take some heat. This idea of presenting Christianity as just something to help you have a better life and to make your life happier and to make you more successful and so that you can have your best life yet, that's not authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is here is Jesus Christ Take up your cross and follow him. You repent of your sin. You trust in the Savior, and you're now going to follow him, which means you're going to go against the grain of culture. So for me, prior to knowing Christ, I was just floating down the stream. You know, it's kind of like a river, and you got the current, and you're just going with the flow. And whatever the world says, this is what you need to be successful, because frankly, it's all about you, right? Those are the things that I was trying to engage in and to be successful in. But when I came to know Christ, it wasn't like, well, I just sunk an anchor in the ground and I just was like holding steady as the stream was beating against me. Actually, what took place is I went against the current. Why? Because Jesus was calling me to walk in a manner worthy of his own kingdom and glory. It was antithetical to the kingdom of this world. And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't met well with my family. My friends, friends that I had considered that knew me prior to becoming a Christian, they weren't really excited about the fact that I had gone to college and become a follower of Jesus. That like they wanted the old grant. That they really weren't interested in that. In fact, they couldn't even reconcile that. That was like what? Friends, following Jesus means that you're going to have to go against the flow of culture. And notice what he's saying here. That's what these churches did. But he's encouraging them because you are following and you're experiencing the personal faith of these other believers it's camaraderie. It's togetherness. And he said in verse 15, he says, these, these Jews, they both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and they're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. And he's mind, reminding them, hey, the Jews, they had mistreated the prophets. They'd even killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's he's not saying that every Jew is guilty of this. Actually, it was really just a small number of them that were calling for Jesus to be killed. And who actually crucified Jesus? Was it the Jews? Well, actually, it was the Romans. They're the ones that did it. They were incited by the Jews. But the Jewish people had had a pattern that when God brought his prophets and brought truth, they didn't like it because it was in direct conflict with how they were living. And so what do you do? Well, you get angry and you get mad and you cancel them out. You destroy them. And that's what they did. Most of the prophets that God sent to his people, guess what the Jewish people did? God's people did. They ended up killing them. Running them off and making their life miserable. And he's saying, you were following in that same pattern. And when it comes to Jesus going to the cross, yeah, the Jews were responsible for that. Yeah, the Gentiles were responsible for that. And you and I were responsible for that. Do you know why Jesus went to the cross? Well, you don't have to guess. You and I put him there. Isaiah 53, verse 6, it said this, But the Lord... Cause the iniquity of us all to fall on him. These guys, they were just kind of repeating the sins of their father. And furthermore, he said, verse 16, they were hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. The reason they are hostile to all men, you see that verse 15? as they are hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. You want to see what hostility to humanity is? It's keeping people from the truth, keeping people from the gospel. There's only one way that you and I can be saved from our sins And that is through the saving work and the person of Jesus Christ. And to keep that message from humanity, Paul calls it as it is. It is hostility to humanity. And so I can assure you, Satan is going to do anything he can to keep the true believers silent. The culture is going to say, you're going to absolutely keep your mouth shut, or we're going to make life difficult on you. You can have your own personal beliefs, but don't let them ever come out of your mouth. Do you know what that is? That is hostility against humanity, just like Paul said. And he's saying, that is what has happened. These guys were trying to silence us. They hated the fact that there was a Savior, and they would not have him. Friends, you need to understand, God also has a limit to how much He's going to allow rebellion and sin. Did you see that in verse 16? They're always fill up the measure of their sin. Okay, this kind of behavior, it's like their cup. They were just always keeping it full in terms of their sin. And then Paul says, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. This verse tells us that God has a limit to how much rebellion and wickedness and sin he's going to allow. If you're here today and you've been running from God and you're kind of living life on your own and you're in just outright rebellion and violating what you know to be true, I got news for you. God has a limit. And at some point, whether it be a people, a group, or a nation, God will then just pour out his wrath. And there is one piece of good news that I've got for you. The only way, you and I will ever escape God's just wrath against sin is if we're trusting in his Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you see what God did? Because God loves righteousness and holiness, what God did is he actually poured out his just wrath against sin on his son, who died and paid the penalty for our place? in our place. That is why, because our faith is in Christ. He's resurrected from the dead. That's why we worship. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we have life. That's why we will not be ashamed of the gospel, because we know the Savior, and our relationship is with him. And Paul is saying, you know what? They drove us out. That, those, that was the word, like you see that in verse 15, that was used to hunt down an animal. That's how we've been treated. That's what the world will do. But I want you to know that God has given us his people. We've got the power of his word, but we also have the personal faith of his people. And what this does is this gives us strength This is how you stand strong. This is how we will walk in a manner worthy of God. When you go into isolation, when you decide like, hey, you know what, I don't need people. I certainly don't need the church. I don't need to be involved in a small group. Friends, that's where you're going to be in trouble because that's where Satan is going to pick you off and make your life miserable. You may not lose your eternal life because it is eternal life, but you can lose your effectiveness and certainly your sense of joy and peace. You know, when Elijah got separated and thought he was all by himself, that's really when he got in trouble and went into depression. The reason that Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, that's what this book is a response to his trip, is because he was so concerned about their faith. You go into isolation, friends, that's where you're going to have problems. And perhaps you face some heat for being a Christian. Maybe it hasn't gone so well at work. Maybe you've been disowned by your family. Maybe, maybe you're not as popular in the neighborhood or within your friend group because you're a follower of Jesus I want you to think that you know we're united with believers, past and present, around the world. We are in this together. We are the church. And think of our brothers and sisters around the world, some of who have experienced great persecution. Do you know that there are Christians that lose their jobs, that are torn away from their families, disowned by them? Some are beat. They, are, they experience actual physical persecution. And some have been killed in the most heinous of ways. And they will not refuse Jesus Christ. Friends, this kind of relationship with these kind of fellow believers, when we enjoy it, we embrace it. Friends, that is how we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. God has given us the church so that we will not suffer alone, which means that as a church... We are to be engaging people, encouraging them, giving them examples, explaining to them, extending grace and help and hope because that's what is needed. And I'll tell you, just a little bit of encouragement. When you go through difficulty, I have found that seems to make all the difference. So friends, if if you've treated church as like an option, that needs to change if you want to walk in a manner worthy of God because he's given us his word and he's given us his people so that we will walk in his ways if you're not in a small group like you're not really known or you're not involved in like some sort of one-on-one relationship like a discipleship relationship with another believer i really want to encourage you for the sake of the kingdom and your own personal walk and the walk of our church please get involved in one of our groups men's women's life groups college groups we got them everywhere But get involved. Why? It's God's means of grace so we walk in a manner worthy of him. And when you go through great difficulty, it's kind of like a tree under stress. When we face drought, you know what those tree roots do? They just go deeper and deeper because they're looking for water. They're looking to stay alive. And what it results in is that tree gets stronger and stronger because why? It's got a much more expansive root system underneath the ground. And as it grows deep and getting nutrients and water from the soil, it has the effect of growing and reaching out and branching out and being strong. Same with believers. When we go through difficulty, we use that as an opportunity to grow deep in our relationship with God and with each other, in his word. And the effect, you will reach out and you'll have a maturity that will even surprise you. But that's God's goal for you, that you would walk in a manner worthy of him. And every spiritual leader, if they really care about your soul, that's what they want, what God wants, that you would walk in a manner worthy of him. You see that with the Apostle Paul? You see that with the Apostle John. Third John, verse 4, he says this, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. I want you to know as a pastor, your pastor, man, it thrills my heart when I see it And I hear it, how God is at work in your life, and you're walking in a manner worthy of him. You know the power of his word, and you're being strengthened by the personal faith of his people. On October 19th, 2010, they did a very expensive test at the Institute of Business and Home Safety in Richburg, South Carolina. What they did is they constructed two 1,300-square-foot homes. Um, They were practically identical except for one feature, one home, uh, used traditional construction the other home traditional construction with one ad they had reinforcement straps from the, re, from the foundation all the way up. they put these reinforcement straps. What made this a really expensive not only uh, to build these two houses but they put it in this forty million dollar facility that was meant to simulate a category three hurricane and so uh, they did they got these two houses built up absolutely identical except for that one major difference, the reinforcement straps. And they turned on their expensive system for a few minutes. And the wind blew and all the rain and the water, and, you know. And they turned it off, and the houses were about the same. They turned it on for a few minutes more, and about the same result. I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, most hurricanes last for more than a few minutes, right? So let's put it on for over 10 minutes, and let's see what happens. And They did. And after 10 minutes, one of the house, the house that was with traditional construction, without the reinforcement straps, guess what happened? It literally collapsed. The other one, it had a little bit of cosmetic damage, but it was structurally sound. And I tell you this, because one of the engineers of that project, uh, he made this very pointed question. The bottom line you have to ask yourself is which house, you would rather be living in. If you're building a life and it does not have the reinforcement straps of the power of God's word and the personal faith of his people, your life is going to be likely reflected to the house that looks like that house that collapses. You just are not going to have the resources you need to go and have the strength that is needed for the trouble that you're facing. So friends... The word of God and the people of God strengthen our walk with God. Let's pray. Lord